Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Sorry, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Justin and the Suffering Podcast. You're New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got another good show for you this week. We got an episode drop on Monday. We're talking to Bill Bender at College Football. Matt Schaff about the fantasy football. We got more fantasy today. I'm going to be joined by Kyle Dvorak of MAC Sports. We're going to break it all down, give you some tease takeaways for your drafts coming up. I'm assuming a lot of you have drafts coming up this weekend. We'll get all that in just a bit. Also going to bring back showing the money, get ready for the season. NFL over unders. We join once again by the great Joe D'Aloisio. We're going to make our over under picks for the season. That's coming up as well. Make sure you're locking in the show for this week's two minute, second two minute drill. I'm going to talk about the Jet time tail with Zach Wilson. Why I think is the right call to do this. So take it slow with him. If you like what you hear on the Just End the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering or Favorite Podcast platforms and final episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well and with the podcast even better going forward. Let's check out the YouTube page by Phillips on YouTube. A video version of my conversation with Kyle and the conversation with Joe is going to be up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to recap the latest round of the Subway Series. That's coming up right after this. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. Talking about the second round of the Subway Series. The first round was basically a complete sweep for the Mets, and the Mets dominated. The Yankees sweep the second round of the Subway Series, win both games at Yankee Stadium earlier this week. And you know what? Like, can't say I'm terribly surprised on the Met end because the Mets coming off a very busy stretch here. 27 games, 26 days, pair of doubleheaders in there, a lot of divisional games, including an emotional series over the weekend in Philadelphia where they had the big comeback on, on, on Sunday afternoon after the rain delay. Can't a little flat this series. You can tell that they're tired. You have a lot of guys who are not hitting a run scoring position. The pitching, for the most part, did pretty well. I mean, Max Scherzer had a couple of miscommunication with James McCann on the home run to Aaron Judge. He had a couple of key hits for the Yankees here. The Mets just did not do enough offensively in the series. They scored two runs a game. They left armies on the base pass in both games. The second game, you could tell when Frankie Montas in trouble early, the Mets couldn't take advantage of it. They had a bunch of uncharacteristic quick at bats against Domingo Herman game one and good job on the Yankees here to take advantage of a very tired Met team and the Yankees needed those wins more because they were struggling they had gone four and 14 the last 18 games entering the subway series they win a pair they've now won three in a row ahead out west good job by them and the Yankees I mean they despite all the struggles despite all their issues it's fair to question October with them because they still have Questionable pitching depth. Garrett Cole has not been the type of stopper you want to see out of him. They have had questions offensively, especially after John Carlson and Matt Carpenter got hurt. But, I mean, they wake up on Thursday before they go into Oakland here as part of this West Coast trip. 
They're still 76 and 48. They're 20 over 500. They're still up eight in the division over Tampa and eight and a half over Toronto. They are going to play us. They're right behind, they're three games behind Houston for the top spot in the American League. They are not going to be playing in the wild card series because they're going to have a far superior record to the whoever comes out of the Central to the Guardians or the Twins or the White Sox. So, Yankees right now, this last month and a half years really just get yourself back into that good form that got everybody so excited in the year, how good they could be, whether they could challenge 98 Yankees. No expecting that right now, but if you get John Carl Stanton back, it's not he can be back as soon as today in Oakland. If you get back Luis Severino a couple of weeks, if you get back a couple of the injured relievers here, things could get really interesting for the Yankees here because they have put themselves such a cushion that even with these struggles, they have nothing to worry about right now. They just got to get themselves right in ahead of the playoffs. They have plenty of time to do that. This trip, I mean, they start off with seven games against Oakland and the Angels, who are terrible. So this is why I expect the Yankees to get right here, win at least five or seven games, and get themselves back on track. Mets side here, you can't get really too worked up about the two losses here. The annoying factor here is just the fact that the Braves never lose games. I've looked, I mean, there's a stat out there right now. They see they are. 47 and 14 in their last 51 games against teams not named the Mets. They're five and seven against the Mets. The rest of the league has not helped the Mets at all in this scenario here. And the Mets are basically going through a meat grind. The Braves have been beating up on everyone who comes in front of them. Right now, the Mets are in a spot here where they are now starting to get to a softer portion of their schedule. They, which is a good thing for them. They get a much needed off day on Wednesday. They've been playing a lot of baseball lately. You know, the young, a veteran team like they are. Is wearing on them. You can see guys like Pete Alonzo looks tired. Starling Marte's look tired. You've seen guys who not live up to the same grinds they've had earlier this year. The catcher position has been a black hole. It still is because James McCann can't hit. Tomas Nito is just came off the COVID list. A lot of issues with the Mets. The thing you're watching here with the Mets is obviously they have to sort of, you know, take advantage of these moments coming up here where they have a lot of bad teams on the schedule. I mean, the four against the Rockies this weekend will certainly help. There's a good chance the Mets could sweep this series. Colorado's not been playing very well. They have the Dodgers coming in next week. It's going to be a huge showcase series for this team as a playoff preview. But when you get past September 1st, and the Dodgers leave town. This is the Mets' schedule the rest of the way. They have three at home against Washington, the end of the 10-game homestand. They go to Pittsburgh for three. They haven't seen the Pirates yet. They have three at Miami. They have a seven-game homestand then. Three against the Cubs. Four against the Pirates. Then they go to Milwaukee, go to Oakland for three, host Miami for two. Then they have the big series in Atlanta before Washington comes here. That's a lot of bad baseball teams on the schedule here. The Mets have to take advantage of these bad teams, start stacking up those wins. They want to try and stay out of that wild card game round because the good news is obviously they are in such a good spot where they are not missing the playoffs. You look at the standings here. I'm looking at the wild card standings for a reference here in the National League. The Atlanta Braves are nine games up on the second wild card spot, which is currently held by the Phillies. The Mets, our definition, are 11 up because they're two up on Atlanta. It would take a catastrophic collapse to miss the playoffs, which is not happening with the schedule they play. The challenge for them is always going to be, can they maintain this NL East lead and get that bye to the number two seed? Now, catching the Dodgers, number one, the Dodgers are basically runaway freight train right now. They're 85 and 37. If the Mets swept all three games, I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers for home field. Right now, their best shot here is just take advantage of the schedule they have, win 104, 105 games, get to 
the two seed and be able to set up your pitching for the NLDS because they would have the wild card round as a as a safety net. They would have the games at home, which would be a good thing. But the problem with that route is you do not want to be in a situation where you're burning Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer just to get into the division series. That would not be ideal because then you're most likely going through the Dodgers. Not the circumstance you really want to have here. You want to be cushioned here. Deal with the Senator winner, which is probably the Cardinals or the Philly Padre winner there. Because I feel like these six NL playoff teams are very much set in terms of that. Milwaukee's the only sort of a sleeper here. This is not a spot here where you want to be going into that wild card round, even with DeGrom and Scherzer. Because as I said many times here, teams can win two out of three in a given week. I mean, the Pirates have beaten the Dodgers in series this year. The Mets have lost series to a team like Seattle uh, this year. You do not want to be in that situation. So the priority here, get healthy, because obviously the, the two short games from the starters hurt. Losing of our Escobar and Luis Guillorme injuries is hurt. Good news is Walker is back in the rotation. Carrasco may be back as soon as next weekend at home against Washington, which would be a huge win for the rotation. Escobar may be back on Friday here. Guillorme a couple weeks after that. They can get healthy. And play their best brand of baseball. That'll be a lot of fun for them to see as the playoffs approach because they have a chance to, you know, rest up a bit. They got an off day today on on Wednesday. They got an off day in the Monday for the Dodgers series. They will have a chance to reset themselves and get themselves going again here. And going through a rough stretch, 18-9, pretty good. The only challenge is Atlanta just doesn't lose. And it might well come down to that last series of the year in Atlanta where the Mets need to win one game to secure the season series, which basically guarantee Atlanta has to pass the Mets to win the division. We'll see what happens here. But again, a lot of baseball left. Be a big race in the East. We'll see what happens there. But up next, we're getting ready for our fantasy football coverage. We're going to talk to Kyle Dvorak of NBC Sports Edge for a fantasy football preview. Right at this call from Fox Sports' Kevin Burkhart last year of Jonathan Taylor scoring a touchdown against the Patriots. And John Taylor, as many remember, was a big league winner last year. That's coming up right after this. Will they have enough to finish this game? As Frank Reich said, here's Taylor. Taylor's going to finish it! Jonathan Taylor to the house! Good night! All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, getting ready for your fantasy football drafts. i got a call coming up next week. Very excited to continue fantasy football week here. Joining me today, a fantasy football guy for MC Sports Edge, Kyle Dvorak is here. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing well. I love Just End the Suffering. That's such a good name. Yeah, well, I mean, I root for a bunch of the bad New York teams, so I'm used to suffering. Yeah, you should just root for the good ones, although you don't have a good football one right now. Just root for the Yankees. Just only root for the Yankees. Well, I've been a Met fan since I was a kid, so I'm actually getting enjoyment this year for once. I know. I, I don't follow baseball too much, but it seems like the Mets are the Mets are good. Yeah, the Mets are doing well so far. We'll see if it lasts till October, but I'm glad you got here. Uh, and for people watching the video version, Kyle is a big contributor to this MC Sports Edge Fans Football Magazine. I am reading it, do my research, and a lot of good stuff in here to help you get ready for your drafts. Yeah, I'm very proud of how that turned out. Uh, not just myself, tons of People way smarter than me pitched in a ton of work into it. You know, team previews, positional previews, all of our rankings, so many articles. So definitely check that out. 
yeah, I'm just very happy with how it turned out. Uh, not not because I'm on it, to be clear. <laughs> I think I did fine work, but I really just think our team is really good. Uh, me withstanding. Yeah, it's a very talented team to put the magazine together here. And since I have you on here, I want to ask you directly here. Like, you've obviously done plenty of fantasy drafts all your time. And obviously this year is different with all the player movement we had in the offseason, guys going different places. What do you think, in your opinion, is the biggest key to having a successful draft this year? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I think it depends where you're drafting. Uh, like, I've been doing a lot of best ball drafts. I think gauging the receiver market uh, is really important because we've just gone full, like, complete galaxy brain like you can never take a running back in rounds three through six or whatever uh so i think gauging how the market is moving versus previous years like last year people were taking mike davis in the fourth round i can't believe <laughs> like what what came over society that we chose to do that and i think this year there's no true like landmines josh jacobs adp falls as soon as he goes out and gets like whatever third quarter hall of fame game reps antonio gibson plays on uh, a special teams or whatever and runs with the third team. And I was the, either the offensive coordinator, or the running backs coach says like his fumbling is becoming an issue. I think it was Scott Turner who said yeah. this and uh, his ADP falls. So I think the market is reacting uh, better. So I think gauging like where, like at what point when players are falling, when people are making quote smart decisions, are they maybe overthinking it? Right. Cause Gibson's still a good player. Josh Jacobs should still lead the team in carry. So trying to figure out, where the market movements are maybe overcorrecting or undercorrecting because people are good at football. Like in 2015, like I, you know, I was pretty, oh, it's been a long time since 2015. I was like in high school then, I think it seems like it might've been a beatable game, a pretty beatable game back in the day, but people are smart now. So I think gauging how the market moves is such a, a important way to draft, especially as we look from like people drafting their first best ball draft in May versus you doing your home league in, you know, September, the first week of September or whatever, is going to be just such drastic movements. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I love your strategy. You're basically just play the board and see what happens. As opposed, I feel like people are trying to gather me. Oh, zero running back strategy. Or I have to go running back, running back first and second. I feel like for me, it's very simple. It's like, what does the board give me where I'm sitting here and what I feel like the best value is? I don't want to overthink it. I feel like you do that. You really get cute and then you end up messing your team up. Yeah, I have some. Uh, I just drafted a bunch of zero RB teams on underdog because I actually felt good about not good. I felt as good as you can about man, like if Antonio Gibson is really going to fall that far and, and if Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, uh, I don't like those players. I do not take those players that often, but you're getting a lot of workload so late in the draft that I'm like, yeah, I will hammer receivers early. Not because like I am a, a diehard zero RB stand. I do think it's a good strategy, but because I think the board and I was generally right that the board would give me uh, over corrections on these running backs in like deep into the draft. So it was, uh, you know, I did get into a zero RB team, but it's like you said, it's because it's what the board gave me, or at least I predicted it to give me. And that's about how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. Here, let's start out here. Let's say you're the lucky guy. You're number one on the board in the draft here. Is it anybody you're taking other than Jonathan Taylor? Oh, it's Christian McCaffrey. The answer is Christian McCaffrey. Like yeah. if you, I can't predict injuries. Right. And when you look at what Christian McCaffrey did in the last time we saw him fully healthy, it was, I believe it, if it was not the best fantasy season ever, it was like the second or third best fantasy season ever. Jonathan Taylor last year was really, really good at running the football. He had like the 21st best fantasy season ever. He was very good. It's just that fantasy half PPR, full PPR, as long as you're not playing standard, is not designed to account for, I think it was the third ever thousand thousand season that Christian McCaffrey gave us was it three, three seasons ago now. So it's been, a, it's been a hot minute. But we saw them whenever he was healthy in the past two years. They do the same thing. They immediately say Christian McCaffrey gets eight targets and like 20 carries. 
Uh, and Jonathan Taylor just doesn't get that. So I will gamble on McCaffrey, who's still like 25 years old and was extremely durable through college and then into the NFL for like three seasons. I'll gamble on that guy because when you when he is healthy, he boat races everyone. There, No one will touch him. It's just so clear that, I mean, he's literally one of the best fantasy players to ever grace the game. Yeah, so basically your opinion is basically like that Jonathan Taylor is the safe play at one. You want the big home runs when you're taking McCaffrey. Yeah, I, I think you are, if I had to bet on who plays more games, I'd take a small bet on Jonathan Taylor. Like it does seem like, you know, injuries are hard to predict, but guys who have gotten injured more in the past probably get injured more in the future. But that is so, uh, that is like such a slight uh, uh, coin flip. And the scoring difference, the actual on-field scoring difference between McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor is not a coin flip. Jonathan Taylor is good. He's really good. He's probably a better pure runner than McCaffrey, maybe than anyone else in the NFL. We're playing the fantasy game, right? We want the dude who can go thousand thousand because that is so valuable. Assuming you're playing in anything other than the standard, you know, half PPR McCaffrey just boat races everyone in the league. So if you, if for some reason you said like, uh, you know, I just need someone who plays 17 games or whatever. Sure. I guess I bet on Jonathan Taylor over most, most of the running backs. Right. But that's, that's not what I want. I want the dude who scores the most points and more often McCaffrey scores the most points. Yeah, absolutely here. So let's, let's say, obviously my league, at least my example is here's 12 team league, half PPR, like in the drafts here, where you think is the worst slot to be picking in round one? Where would you like hate to be like making the most difficult choices? I hate pick seven, uh, seven, eight, nine, unless someone makes a mistake. Cause I think there's a very clear top five slash six. It's the top three receivers, uh, McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, and Austin Eckler. And I think there's a bit of a gap there. It's not huge. It's fine. I don't think there's like a broken spot where like you were just like, you're starting really behind the eight ball, but assuming everyone plays drafts well through the first six picks, I feel like there's a little tier break at seven. So I, I seven, eight, nine. I'm like, what is the point of drafting here? Give me 11, 12, or give me top five or six. It makes sense. And speaking of 11, 12, I have like, one guy in my league who always seems to end up on the turn, regardless of like how we do the draft mechanism. Like he always seems to end up there. Like if he's picking there again at 11, 11, 12 on the turn, how would you play that this year? I'd kill to get Travis Kelsey that, there this year. And I do every now and then he, I feel like his ADP is like 10, 11. It depends on what site you're playing on though. But I, I take him if he gets to me at the turn, which I've gotten a bunch of turn picks recently. Very unfortunate. Uh, I've gotten some turn picks recently. And if he makes it there, I take him every time. It's, there's just so many outcomes where Travis Kelsey, who has been the number one, two or three tight end for each of like the past five years and now has the weakest car target competition we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era. There's so many outcomes where he sets like every record for tight end. So I usually take him there and then I'm pretty, pretty ambivalent on what I do with the other spot. I like CD lamb there. If Twan Diggs makes it, he usually doesn't, but if he makes it to the turn, even Devonte Adams or like Najee Harris, that one, I just kind of take whoever's at the top of ADP. Yeah, it makes some sense to me. And let's start with the running back, obviously the traditional fantasy position here. And obviously you're picking the top of draft. You know who you're taking here, but like, Beyond that top tier, who are some guys you like this year in terms of fantasy-wise? I've been, I mean, the market has also been really getting into Saquon Barkley, but that's, to me, I, I like, I, Saquon Barkley's really good, but uh, I also, it's disgusting, I hate to say it, I like the Giants' offense based on their prices. I don't like the Giants' offense, but I do think that they are going to get one of the most massive coaching turnarounds we've seen in terms of how it affects their offense in the past few years. The Jags are actually going to kind of get the same because Urban Meyer is so incredibly bad. God, how did that guy get hired? <laughs> uh, so I, I think the Giants philosophically will get one of the best turnarounds. Do I think Daniel Jones turns his game around? I think having a better coach helps. I think having a coach who we saw was 
in some sense, instrumental in turning around Josh Allen from being a, probably a, a bust, like on track to be a bust, to incredible. I think he deserves some credit. I think Josh Allen deserves more of the credit because he's, you know, he controls his own destiny to that degree. But the scheme was great for Josh Allen, and the coaching definitely helped Josh Allen cut out the mistakes. And that's kind of the Daniel Jones trajectory is a player who is lost after a few years, but has the physical assets needed to be a productive NFL quarterback. And that that rising tide is going to bring up all the votes, specifically Saquon Barkley, who whenever he is healthy, it's, it's the McCaffrey argument, right? I get it. Saquon Barkley has been uh, whew, another one, two, like two, two lost seasons, basically, yeah. a season and a half lost. And injuries are just hard to predict. We see this every single year. The players, McCaffrey was the example, right? Supremely healthy, then it just goes away. So I'm not going to ride too hard on calling Saquon Barkley injury prone. Sure, more than other players, maybe. I think that's possible. But uh, to me, his volume is like, I, I honestly, I'd be comfortable taking him at the one-two turn, like taking him 201, 202, if I had to. Right now, depending on what site you're on, I know in like high stakes leagues, that's basically where he's at. But I think in your home league, the home leagues love to tell you like, Oh, he, no way. This guy could never play burn me last year. Could never play a full 17 game season. But we say that about players all the time. So Saquon Barkley is someone that depending on your site, I I could have him ranked a little above ADP to just drastically above ADP. Gotcha. That makes some sense here in terms of receivers here. How do you look to play this? He's obviously assuming like we're with the half PPR model. Like a lot of leagues are doing that now in terms of like, are you looking more for the guys who are the clear number ones? Are you content to build like a bunch of like, solid options with good quarterbacks in there like he is looking for the pure target hogs yeah i would generally just say like we want to bet on the things that are sticky and and players who get targets are sticky like that's just what they do it's a skill you have in the nfl and it's not something you can really lose whereas like i think deontay johnson is kind of my example of this i don't want to be betting on the pittsburgh offense the line is not great they made some i'd call them half-hearted efforts to improve the line in the offseason with weak free agent signings and it looks like their quarterback uh plays if you want to call it that uh, again they almost feel half-hearted it was not a great draft for quarterback to their credit uh i'm not sure how those are working out training camp would say they're not going great uh but deontay johnson has demonstrated time and time again an incredible skill to get a ton of targets the offensive efficiency it could go up losing ben roethlisberger ben roethlisberger was very old and not particularly good at throwing anymore it could go down because the quarterbacks could be dreadful they could be that you know zach wilson trevor lawrence that will be very fluky and i don't have a strong conviction on which way it goes i have a strong conviction that deontay johnson gets open and catches the ball and that's something that it will repeat itself year over year so i do generally favor my projection for players targets and for like specific players the the two three turn where you can get like aj brown t higgins michael pittman who fit that bill and are on at least yeah they're pretty much i'd say they're all on good offenses maybe run heavy but good is kind of the the caveat but they're all on competent to very good offenses i love picking at that spot right there so the the the, anywhere from like one through five where you get to toe that aj brown michael pittman t higgins range if you start from the one through five i think that's that's why i want to be like top three top five not only can you get mccaffrey but i love that two three spot to get two wide receiver ones yeah, so basically your strategy is like you rather have the guy you feel confident rather than throw a dart on which guy in the Kansas City office could be the Patrick Mahomes favorite receiver of the week. I'm throwing those darts too, <laughs> but I don't have I don't have strong conviction in those darts. I'm taking a lot of like I don't I like Sky more the most, but I've totally been talked into going Juju. I've been talked into going MBS. I have a lot of all of them because someone will emerge. I have no fear that like 
Alec Pierce is going to unseat Michael Pittman or whatever. So I don't have a ton of any individual Kansas City receiver. I have a bunch of all the whole spread. Well, I'm not taking Nico Harvin. I have confidence <laughs> that guy's not good, but I have a bunch of the rest of the three. Uh, no strong conviction. Sky Moore is my favorite if you press me, but I, I truly get all of them. Whereas like for, you know, for AJ Brown versus Devonta Smith, Devonta Smith's a good player. I'm taking AJ Brown so much because I am confident he should be able to out-target Devonta Smith. Absolutely. I'll go to the quarterbacks too here because obviously most of these leagues not taking quarterback very high. I'm not sure there's going to be the guy in the league who reaches for Josh Allen like the second or third round here. Like where do you want to start taking a quarterback in your opinion this year? And like who are some guys that you feel like are not getting valued enough in that in that position? Yeah, I think in your home league, I think in like, you know, best ball or different like Superflex, obviously the context is a bit different, but just in your home league and my home league, I have mostly been skipping out on the top tier of quarterback because I think you can get comparable enough play and the opportunity cost of the third round Josh Allen pick is high enough that Russell Wilson, Trey Lance are our two players who've just been hammering. And Trey Lance is the perfect home league quarterback. Ah, he's he's not accurate. He can't throw. Dude, I don't care if he doesn't complete a single pass this year. He is so likely to rush for like 800 plus yards. When you project him out using last year's stats, it's a small sample, so it's going to look great, obviously. But like his scramble rate and his design run rate, he looks like a 1,200-yard rusher. Like he looks like an elite running back. You throw in like 2,000 passing yards. 2,000 would be a terrible passing season. You just throw in a few thousand passing yards, and he's like instantly a top five quarterback. So it is so hard to do projections for someone like Trey Lance because you his numbers are never going to look like the numbers of anyone other than like peak Lamar Jackson. And do you want to project him for that? I watched him. It kind of looks right in terms of his usage. He's stylistically, he's not quite like Lamar Jackson, but his like raw stat lines are going to look similar. So to me, Trey Lance is like the ideal home league play because he'll like, people will be thinking about taking him as like QB 12, 13 or whatever. I'll take him as like QB eight. I'll, I will take him rounds ahead of ADP. And I love Russell Wilson too. I just think in an offense that isn't so archaic, he has such a high ceiling. I think that's kind of the spot that like Jalen Hurst was going last year. He was going like QB 12, QB 13. Exactly. Right? Yes. And like he, he over, he, uh, I feel like he's going to go overdraft here because they got so many weapons in there this year in terms of like people are expecting much more at him and he might put up similar numbers and people might be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. It, I, I love Jalen Hurts and like in best ball, Trey Lance's ADP is so steamed up that he goes basically where Hurts goes. They go similarly, but in your home league, like take the next Trey Lance and the next Trey Lance is just staring us in the face. Yeah, that's for sure here. I was also the tight end position because I feel like last year going into the draft, it felt like there was a big three of, you know, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. And I think I forget who the third guy was last year, but there was like, I feel like the big three. I feel like the position did thin out, like to expand a bit last year. You had more competent options. I feel like that's definitely helpful for fantasy players. That position is very hard to fill most of the time. Yeah. I have my best ball tiers ranked as um, <laughs> it's so difficult. I, I really think it's a, Tier one, and it's just Travis Kelsey, and a tier two, and it's the next four guys. I think in my best ball tiers, I gave credit, uh, a decent amount of credit to Pitts. And well, I gave credit to the market, really, saying Mark Andrews is relatively close to Travis Kelsey within like a round and a half or something like that. And even the same with Kyle Pitts. So I grouped them in a tier, and then I grouped uh, Kittle and Waller in a second tier of their own. So I have two tiers consisting of just five players. And after that, the tiers get big. And I think. I've actually been pretty comfortable going with anyone of the top tier other than Mark Andrews, because I think he's too close to Kelsey. I think the gap should be wider or the gap between him and Pitts should be smaller. So he's the one I think is a little overpriced. I've been fine going with that first, uh, I call it two tiers. He called one tier, you call it three tiers. I don't care. First five, I think it's fine. And the numbers have generally shown that we actually predict pretty well who the elite of the elite tight ends are. Like we've 
consistently picked out Waller and Kittle as elite tight ends. And when they're healthy, they are last year, both of them end up being a little banged up but when they're healthy. They are Travis Kelsey is like always healthy and has consistently been the best. And this data, you know, goes back to Gronk too, where every year Gronk was just the best. And we kind of knew that we knew the guys who had high target shares, high efficiency were year in year out. And you could just keep churning on him. Now we have like Mark Andrews and Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts in that group, essentially. Those guys are easy to predict. It's the next tier where the guy who scored nine touchdowns last season or the guy who like Logan Thomas kind of like stumbled his way into a wide receiver two role. Those guys, the tier two, I am far less confident. So I'm not getting much like Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson. If I'm getting into that group, they just give me like Albert O later in the draft or like David and Joe way later in the draft. You know, Tyler Higby plays every snap on one of the best offenses in the league, maybe the best offense. He doesn't do a ton with his snaps, but still he plays literally every snap for that team. So if I'm not getting a top five guy, I'm not getting a top 12 guy. I'm going 13, 14, 15 deeper. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I feel like I love that strategy in terms of like, in terms of the top guys, I was like, if I can get like one of the guys and give me wide receiver one production, I'm going to do it. But like, I'm not going to try and dabble in that middle class where I could just, you know, go lay maybe a guy I'm watching in that front in terms of like, getting big, big headlines of Jet Camp, Tyler Conklin, that could be a guy you can get very late, could be a breakout candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Like there are so, And we see this every single year that you don't like, you know, I talked about you don't want this year, you don't want last year's Jalen Hurts, you want this year's Jalen Hurts. The same thing, you don't want like last year's, well, it'd be two years ago now, Logan Thomas, you want the next guy because those guys end up being overpriced based on their past production when they're not like special players. Like Logan Thomas, very impressed that he was able to transition from a quarterback to like a very high end starting tight end in the NFL, but I don't think he's a particularly special player at the position. So I don't want to be buying into that when I can get a guy who's probably just as talented as he is in like Tyler Higby or even deeper, like go to like Mo Ali Cox or like Brevin Jordan. If I'm taking those guys, I'm taking like two to three of them and I'm probably cutting one of probably two of them by like week two, right? I've seen, oh, they're not playing the snaps I thought they were. Let me cut them and probably turn the wire. Maybe one of them hits one of the three. But yeah, I love going either high, low, nowhere in the middle. Yeah, in terms of sleepers, I was everybody, everybody has their sleepers here. Who are some sleepers you're looking at this year in terms of guys that you're trying to make sure you get on your teams? I have like just an insane amount of Albert Okui Boonham. Uh, if, if he doesn't work out, I'm going into hiding. I'm doing the Dan <laughs> Snyder thing where I, just casually purchase a like $100 million yacht and go to a foreign country. So you can't question me about my decisions. And uh, for me, that would be Albert O because I have him like, I, every time I look at a draft, I'm like, why would I not take Albert O here? He was a, a very above average college producer, especially dating back to like his freshman year. He was like an 18 year old who scored like a dozen touchdowns against SEC competition. He's been super efficient in the NFL. And he worked his way as a rookie and second year tight end onto the field with a first round good tight end ahead of him on the field. So to me, it's just like all signs point to him being uh, like, I don't want to say an elite tight end but definitely an above average starting NFL tight end. And now he plays with Russell Wilson. So to me, Albert O tight end position is one I just can't get away from. Yeah. You other positions you have sleepers that you're very excited about the receivers. There's some really good, like deep sleeper receivers. They all kind of fit the same bill of like small ish playmaker, someone who can control a surprising amount of target share. I think like a good trio right now is Isaiah McKenzie, Wandale Robinson and David Bell. David Bell just uh, just like returned to practice a week ago, and I don't think he'll go drafted in many home drafts. Maybe he's someone you just monitor on the wire, but his college production was just elite. Like he has that uh, like Corey Davisian type of profile where he just kept turning out like thousand yard productive seasons all throughout his career. Tyler Boyd's actually I think the perfect comp for him. Like big ish slot receiver, not particularly athletic. Tyler Boyd like bombed the combine. Then you look back at his college stadium and you're like, he looks like a player who should be productive. David Bell has that like same profile. He's like 
Keenan Allen light if he hits his ceiling. Like that's what I think the ceiling is. And there's not a ton. It's just Amari Cooper standing in his way from getting a decent amount of targets. The depth on that team at receiver is pretty weak and it profiles as like outside burners as Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz. So I think there's a starting role pretty much on the table for him. All he has to do is just finish out training camp strong. Absolutely. Last question here is obviously we talked about the sleep. You got to go the other way too here. Look, try and avoid those buzz here. Are there guys that you are just making sure not to draft, like you don't want anywhere near your team? I don't have like any Joe Mixon on my teams. Uh, he just, he's like the master of none, like Jack of all trades, master of none. He doesn't play a ton of third downs. He still catches some passes, but he's not the elite runner either. Like he's not that Nick Chubb caliber runner. He's not, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry. And at that point, like I would rather shoot for the moon with like Aaron Jones, who he probably also has a similar ish role, but he could trade away 50 or hundred carries for like, 50 catches on Joe Mixon. He could catch an insane amount of passes. So I'd rather shoot for the moon with something like that. Whereas Joe Mixon feels like the, the high floor, he's the starting two and a half ish down running back for a very good offense, but I just don't feel threatened by his ceiling. He has to score like 20 touchdowns to reach a ceiling. He scored a lot of touchdowns last year, but that's like the fluky part of any player's game. Essentially, you know, some players score more touchdowns than other, but I would say him repeating what he did last year would be a surprise to me. Absolutely, Kyle. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow social media and keep up with uh, your coverage for NBC Sports. Yeah, follow me at Kyle Tweets here on, on Twitter. If you want to read anything, uh, I dropped, just uh, check it out there. I think like an hour ago, uh, at the time we were recording this, I dropped an article about the ceiling case for the Seahawks, or the Seahawks, God, not the Seahawks, for <laughs> Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Uh, the ceiling case for the Seahawks is like, they make it through the season and we don't like kick them out of the league because they're so bad. Uh, ceiling case for Russell Wilson and the Broncos. So you can check that out if you want to read something of mine. Absolutely. And once again, fantastic Twitter handle, Kyle tweets here. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Kyle, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Show me the money. All right, show me the money is back. We're going to kick off NFL season here with some NFL over-unders. Joining me once again to do it, a good friend of mine, Joe Dalvizio is back. Joe, how are you? Mike, pleasure to be here as always. Thanks for having me on. And hopefully this year a little bit better than last year. So show me the money. Yeah, show me the money indeed. I've had a killer on the baseball over-unders. Hopefully my luck carries over to the the, uh, football ones as well. Well, you're pretty good with this, so I have faith in you, but I'm hoping that this year, I'm not, I'm not, I remember last year I went a little cute on some of the picks. I think this year I played a little safe, so we shall see, though. Yeah, we shall see here. I got to say, it's, this is a little harder, because there's just so much movement in the NFL offseason, sort of players shifting around and teams loading. I feel like it was a lot harder with these numbers this year. Yeah, between free agent acquisitions, trades, the NFL draft, you saw a lot of teams get better. You saw a lot of teams get uh, a lot of teams get worse. And you know, the the solid number win is kind of the difficult one. And I'll be honest with you, in terms of what I have on my board, I went with a lot of solids rather than the halves. So could end up biting me um, in the rear in the long term. But I'm feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I feel pretty good about what I have to. I got a bunch of options on the board here, but like in terms of the moves here, was there one that sort of really surprised you that happened? In terms of what? Player movement. Player movement? Well, I thought about Devontae Adams, um, his decision to leave Green Bay to to go to the Vegas Raiders. I mean, I think that that was that was a bombshell. Uh I, I think that 
change not only what Green Bay's plan was going into this upcoming season, but also, you know, made the Vegas Raiders a lot more competitive. And now it's, you know, Mr. Carr, the quarterback himself, the Hall of Fame quarterback, according to Devontae Adams, um, as he as he joked and said, I'm going to, from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another. I mean, all the pressure's on him. He's playing in a very difficult division. Uh, but a guy like Devontae could add that spark that they need on that offense. Yeah, for sure here. And let's get to why we're here. Did some overs and unders. We're using numbers from DraftKings, their NFL regular season win totals here. Same rules as always. Three overs, three unders. We're going to do a do a snake draft here. Starting for pick one. Somebody else picks two and three. We'll alternate after that. Do you want to put stakes on this one? Do I still owe you from last time, by the way? Yes. We have not met. I mean, for- we keep miss- missing each other in person around lunchtime. I mean, for, for goodness sake, so, I mean, instead of the sandwich, we might as well at this point to cover our bases here, just do a dinner <laughs> or, or, or a bigger lunch. I mean, what, are, what am I going to get you, two heroes? Yeah, well, who knows? I'll be I'll be in the Rochelle plenty this year. All right, so, uh, so what do you want to do here? You want to go with the hero round? You get a lunch and a dinner, or you, or you want to go, uh, like, uh, maybe a smokehouse dinner? For uh, those of you that don't know, the local uh, barbecue joint in Rochelle. Let's go with uh, winner buys winner buys the lose like loser buys the winner a burger from AJ's. Okay, and I still owe you though. Yeah, I'm a man of my word, so I still owe you a sandwich. Let me know when you're down. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that off the air when I'm going to be down there. But we'll start out here with uh, since I'll give you the short since you are the guest here. Would you like the first pick or the second and third picks? Uh, I'll take the first pick. All right, so you have the first pick here. What are you doing with your pick? All right, so I could go either or here. Yes. Okay, I am going to start with the unders, and I am going to go Steelers under seven and a half. All right, first season for the Steelers without Big Ben, I think it's going to take some getting used to, and there will be growing pains. Uh, and it starts this year, obviously. I'm not convinced they really have a franchise quarterback. Could it be Kenny Pickett? Maybe he's the guy. Truthfully, my thoughts with Kenny Pickett, if he was that guy, I think he would have went way earlier in this draft. I know he's having a great preseason, but take that with a grain of salt. You're not playing the best of the best. They're not going at 100. Um, so the fact that they don't have a true quarterback there, um, a tough schedule, I feel comfortable going with under 7.5 for the Steelers. Yeah, I like the pick. It was not one I considered because the number for me was like, I feel like two on the nose, but I do see the lie there. I mean, at some point, Mike Tomlin's going to have a bad team. I mean, he is like their offense. I see, I'm going to see them struggle to score points. No, of course. And I mean, I thought, uh, not to say they had a good year last year, but I mean, Big Ben was, was not a good quarterback last year. And to do what they did last year, I thought was a, a success, all things considered. I just, I just can't see them coming close to what they did or mimicking what they did last year this year with a whole new system in place. All right. I'm going to go up now. I'm going to start out with an over, and I'm actually going to take my football team over the five-and-a-half wins. I feel like they got knocked down a win after the Zach Wilson injury when everybody thought it was an ACL, and it turns out he's not, not going to miss the whole gear. We'll talk about what they're doing with him at the end of the show here, but I do think like – Five and a half is a low number. They did get better, and I see a lot of wins in the back of the schedule here I think that they can get. I feel like this team will be competitive most of the way through. I feel like five and a half is a low bar to clear. They hit the Jets with the over. Yeah, I really like that one. Not one of the ones that I've listed. I figured I'd, uh, 
I'd stay away from that one just because I know you're the big uh, gangrene guy, the big jet guy, but I really like that number. I think Zach Wilson takes a step in the right direction. I think uh, overall on both sides of the ball, via the draft, via you know acquisitions in the offseason, I think they've gotten a lot better. I could see them easily hitting that number. Yeah, and I'm going to balance it with an under here. I'm going to stay in the division. I'm going to say New England under 8.5. I was wrong on this last year, but I feel like this team is not very good. I feel like they don't have a lot of options offensively. I feel like they've lost a lot of pieces defensively. I feel like they're getting overrated because of the Belichick factor here. I think with a tough Ray, I see this team's going to struggle a bit. I'm going to take the Patriots under. Yeah, something seems fishy in New England. I don't know what it is. I don't have my foot on the ground over there, but it certainly doesn't seem like that typical offseason where there's positive buzz. And the silence here is what, what scares me with this New England team. And it doesn't seem like that offense and Matt Jones, are, 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 that they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the stuff I've been hearing is all like, oh, like Mac Jones having a bad camp and like the receivers can't separation. That stuff would worry me. Yeah, I, I would be I would be concerned. And again, I, I go back to the silence. Not many people are, know what's really going on over there. Uh, who's the offensive coordinator? Who's, who's running the show there? It, it seems like for the first time we may actually see a match in New England. Yeah, absolutely. Here, you're up now. What do you want to do with your next pick? All right, I am. I get two now, right? I think we're gonna go one, 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 one. The rest one, of the one, one, one. Uh, all right, no problem. Um, I will stay with the unders. And I'll go to the local here, and I'm going to take the New York Giants under seven. Uh, my team here, and hopefully I'll be able to sneak in my, my third under, but I hope this doesn't give it away and you take it all. But um, my team here is if you don't have a quarterback, you're likely going to struggle in the NFL. Um, I think the Giants improved this year under Dable. I think there, there's a chance that the, the new leadership um, from atop the organization is much better for the New York Giants. But not enough to get them to seven wins. Not enough to get them to eight wins. Um, I'm definitely not sold on Daniel Jones. I don't think the organization is is sold on Daniel Jones. The offensive line is still shaky. Again, a step in the right direction, but way too much of a lead for my life. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Giants, I feel like a lot of people just look at the schedule and see how it stacks. Like, oh, this team could be competitive. They could win a lot of games. I could see that argument here. But, I mean, you watch them play some of these preseason games and you watch on the talent on the roster here. Like, they have very big issues that you have to worry about. A lot of these teams, people forget about this, say, oh, the Giants win these games. A lot of these other teams look good and say, oh, we can beat the Giants. It's, it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I just, again, I just don't think the organization is that confident Daniel Jones. Um, and he hasn't shown you any reason to be confident. Um, and, and that's and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go back to the underwell here. I'm going to take the, the uh, Cleveland Browns under eight and a half wins. And this number finally hit the board with the Sean Watson suspension becoming official here for 11 games. I mean, you're asking Jacoby Brissett to be this quarterback in a very tough division for the majority of the season for Cleveland. I don't think it's going to end up working out very well for them. And even when Deshaun Watson comes back, well, he hasn't played a meaningful snap of football in two years, so who knows what he looks like when he gets back on the field. I feel like the, this is set up for a down year for Cleveland, plus all the negativity off the field with the questionable circumstances of the Watson situation. I think this is a setting up to be a disaster for Cleveland. You know what? And it's a damn shame. I agree with you because you finally felt Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland. It's been like the last like five or six years where you think, all right, they're going to get over the hump. We're going to see some good Cleveland Brown football. And we saw maybe a glimpse of it, but we never got to see where 
what it could be. And with all the offseason distractions, the whole Deshaun Watson situation, uh, I think that's a safe pick right now. Absolutely. Here, Where are you going with your next pick? All right. You know what? I might as well finish my unders. And I'm going to take the Falcons under five. And I'm also going to say that I think the Falcons could potentially be the worst team in the NFL this season. Uh, similar to the Steelers. Uh, Falcons are starting over when it comes uh, to the quarterback position, moving on from a veteran quarterback in Matt Ryan. Now who leads the way for uh, the Falcons? Is it Marcus Mariota? I mean, is it the rookie from Cincinnati? Julio, John, uh, Julio Jones, Don, he's going to have a monster year in Tampa Bay, naturally, with Tom Brady throwing in the ball. Ridley suspended. Top 10 toughest schedule in the league. They'll probably steal a game here or there. Like I mentioned at the start, this may be one of the worst seasons uh, for the Falcons in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, they were just here for a preseason game, recording prior to week three of the preseason. They were here for the Jets. They did a couple of joint practices. From everything I've read, the Jets were basically dominating them in the joint practices, and they actually played the game. So Atlanta looked good in the preseason game. The Jets didn't really play anybody. So that doesn't give you a good sign for getting dominated by the Jets. No, I mean, and again, I think the Jets are taking a step in the right direction. Uh, as I mentioned, they take what you see in the preseason with a grain of salt, but I think this Falcons team is in total rebuild at this moment. I would agree with that. I'm going to go back to the overboard here. I think this is a team I like because I feel like they have quarterback stability here. I would take the Colts over 10 wins, and I think that... that you, you stole it from me. <laughs> that was one of mine. God damn it. Yeah, I feel like getting Matt Ryan in there is going to get, rejuvenate him. I feel like getting out of Atlanta, he's got a couple of good years left. Got good offensive lines, got some good weapons there. They have the NFL's leading rusher in Jonathan Taylor. They have some good defensive pieces here. I think in a bad division, something I love with the overs here is the fact that, you know, they have all these teams in there they can just beat up on in Houston and Jacksonville. I know they haven't won in Jacksonville in a while. I feel like that streak ends this year, but I think the Colts are going to win the division. I'm going to take them over 10. Yeah, I love that thing. That was one of the ones that I was hoping it to, to knock off next. Uh, you pretty much laid it out. I mean, they won nine, uh, nine games last season with a guy, but well, with Carson Wentz leading the way. They get Matt Ryan, who's a little bit better at this point in his career. They get better on on uh, the defensive side, at the edge position, at, at a guy in the back way. Uh, favorable strength of schedule. Michael Pittman is only going to get better and will be better with with Matt Ryan throwing in the ball. And like you said, you look at the division, you could easily take four games from the Jags and Texans. Uh, you probably steal one from the Titans, and you're already halfway there. Yeah, for sure. You're up now. You have all three of your overs left, so where are you going to go now? Well, now i got to think of a new over because I didn't have a backup on, on the spot, so this is live podcasting at its finest. But before we get there, I am going to go uh, with the Cowboys. The Cowboys over 10. Uh, you thought the... the Colts' schedule was kind of on the easy side. Uh, you should take a look at the Dallas Cowboys, and that's why I like them at the 10 games. Similarly, division-wise, uh, you got to you got to play the Giants twice. you got to play the uh, Commanders twice. Uh, not that the Commanders are going to be anything special, but you know you can't really guarantee those four wins like you can with the Colts and Jags versus the uh, Texans. But I really, I really like the Cowboys at over 10. Uh, this is Dak's opportunity to really shine here. I know he loses... Uh, some help with the departure of Amari Cooper, but you benefit from the division. And I think uh, they're, they're good enough to get to that 11-win mark. I don't think much more than that, but um, it, it's a really good number here. Then if outside of the division, you sprinkle in the Lions, the Bears, the Texans, the Jags. Well, you're almost there at that number to take care of business in your division. Yeah, that's a good number here. I had it on my list as a possibility. I just, it's the number I feel like, I feel like I see them landing on 10. I tried to stay away from that one for that reason because of the, because of the uh, push factor. Yeah, 
I, I again, this is one that I'm not extremely confident about, but this is one that I could see um, definitely ending at that 10 more or splitting at that 10 more. All right, I'm up next. I'm going to wrap up my unders here. I'm going to go with the 49ers under 10. I feel like this is a combination of things, which is we don't know what Trey Lance could be like a quarterback, and he struggled in his brief opportunities last year. They did lose some key pieces on around the roster here, and this is also still a tough NFC West division. You got with the Rams twice, got with the Cardinals twice. The Seahawks will give them a hard time the two games they play because of the rivalry here, and I do think, you know, the NFC is a weaker conference. I thought the 49ers... Getting over 10 wins, I feel like it's a tough pill to swallow year with the quarterback. I think it's this sort of like a step back year before they take two steps forward the following year with Lance. I think it's going to be an under 10. Yeah, I think there's going to be some uh, some growing pains here when the offense tries to train, uh, you know, go into the Trey Lance era. Um, but I think you said it perfectly there. One step, one step backward, but for the following season, could be two steps forward. Absolutely. You have two more overs to go. Where are you going with the next one? All right, so I am going to go Bengals over 10. Um, and if you if you notice, I, I think I like the number 10 here because that Cowboys and the Colts before you stole them. But uh, the Bengals are not a fluke last season. Um, they have something really special uh, at the quarterback position with Joe Burrow. They have He has an incredible supporting cast from wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Boyd, Higgins, the running back, Joe Mixon, I mean, They've added support on both sides of the ball, which is only going to make this team better. Uh, I think the division is relatively weak outside of, uh, of Baltimore. Pittsburgh, I think it could take two from Pittsburgh. Cleveland, they play Cleveland once without Deshaun Watson. Who knows what that team's going to be like by the time Deshaun Watson even comes back. If he comes back, who knows what's going on with that situation. So I like the Bengals over, over 10 and being one of the perennial teams in the AFC overall. Yeah, it's an interesting year for Cincinnati, too, because you look at what's going on with them. Obviously, they take the big league forward. They go all the way to the Super Bowl last year, and they, lose, and they lose the games of the Rams late. And as well as things, you watch that team, because a lot of times Super Bowl losers, a tough follow-up year to that one. They try and avoid the hangover, because you got, you got realize you got to go all the way back, go through all that work to get back to where you were. So interesting to see what has the Bengals and see if they are motivated enough to get themselves like over that malaise. I think they're young enough that they have that motivation. I, I think they don't they don't skip a beat. Those young guys pretty much paid the Super Bowl. And they loved every minute of it. I think they're they're gonna be there. If not again this this upcoming season in the near future, but they're gonna they're gonna play real well this year. All right. My last picks on over and I'm gonna go to a standby that I love doing every year. Your Green Bay Packers over eleven wins. I just look at the vision again. Detroit's not very good. They're getting better, but they still have ways to go. Chicago's a mess. Who knows in Minnesota? I feel like you're getting at least five wins out of division here. I think, yes, losing Devontae Adams hurts, but they still have a great running game. They'll find a way to get some weapons going for Aaron Rodgers. It's usually a good job finding chemistry with some of his receivers. I mean, we heard about, about Romeo Dobbs all over training camp about how good he could be. I think this is set up again for Green Bay to win at least 12 games and get the top seed in the NFC. So I'm going to take the Packers over 11. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this to a lot of people in it about the Packers is I think this is the first year that you're going to see a much different Packers team. And what I mean by that is you're going to see a Packers team that is very run heavy and going to utilize Aaron Jones and, and, and A.J. Dillon a lot more, um, both in the run game and the pass game, um, especially Aaron Jones. I mean, I think you could easily see him being putting up wide receiver numbers with the departure of, of Devontae Adams. I think they rely heavily on the run, and this defense is going to be flying all over the place. I mean, they made some key acquisitions in the NFL draft to get younger, to get more athletic and more explosive. 
coming off an already very good defensive year uh, overall for this. They brought back some guys. Uh, I think I think I want to agree with you. I really do, but it really depends on um, the early growing pains. If you, you start the season off strong, I think you'll be all right. There's part of me that thinks, though, that you may have some confidence early on with, with the wide receiver core. Absolutely. You have one last pick left. It isn't over. Where are you going with it? Well, I wasn't prepared for this over, but I think I'm going to go this way anyway because it's hard to go against them. I'm taking the Buccaneers over 11 and a half. I know it's a big number. I know a lot of people are saying, what's going on with Tom Brady? Why isn't he there? Now he's there. What's going on? But, I mean, I, I think it's really hard to bet against Tom Brady, especially when he has weapons all over all over the field. I know Julio Jones isn't what Julio Jones once was, but I could see him easily having a, a back player of the year type year with Tom Brady throwing him the ball. Good good defense on that on the other side of the ball. Uh, the division, I think, is going to be pretty tough for them. It's going to be a little more competitive than most of the teams that we've discussed um, overall. But anything is it's hard to go against Brady. Yeah, I can definitely make that argument here. I feel like, for me, it's like a very close number. I feel like this team is like 11 or 12 wins. So, like, that's why I stay away from it. But, you could, it, again, you have Tom Brady on your side. It's hard to argue against you. Exactly. And as long as he stays healthy, you're going to get a lot more out of Julio Jones. And I, and I think that's, that's incredible. That they were able to, that they were able to get a player at that at that caliber. Yeah, so let's reset the picks here. Joe has gone with the Steelers under seven and a half, the Giants under seven, the Falcons under five, the Cowboys over ten, the Bengals over ten, and the Buccaneers over eleven and a half. Joe's six picks, so he basically you know, under and over in each division, in the three divisions. I'm feeling confident, Mike. You better watch out. Yeah, you got the re. I'm going to get the most expensive burger on that menu. <laughs> Absolutely. So my picks, the Jets over five and a half, the Patriots under eight and a half, the Browns under eight and a half, the Colts over 10, the 49ers under 10, and the Packers over 11. So I'm feeling pretty good, too. I think these are going to be a very strong set of picks you could you could throw some money on if you were hey, so inclined. Everything looks real good on paper, Mike. Everything. Yeah, you know how this works. Well, I'm saying, like, I had a good run on the MLB over-unders. You're curious about what I had. Well, where, where, are, you, where are you at right now? Uh, I had the Mets over 90.5. Okay. I had the Washington Nationals under 71.5. All right. I had the Reds under 76.5. Okay. I had the Mariners over 83.5. Look at you go. I had the Angels under 83.5. Wow. And the last one's the trickiest one at Toronto over 92 and a half. Oof. Yeah, that one not looking so good right now. That one's going to be like literally come down to the last like three days of the season. Yeah, of course. I, that's the point. Hey, that's a hell of a risk you got going. Yeah, it's a, it's a great year in that one. We'll see how that goes. Also, we're going to do the, as we do every year, we're going to do our picks challenge here. I lost the playoff challenge last year for the first time. So we'll see if the opposing, if the guests can keep it going here in the regular season. Hopefully, and hopefully I'm one of those guests that knock you down. I always like doing that. Yeah, we'll get to, you'll definitely be on later this year, but we're going to start things off there. Our good friend Alan Austin is going to come on to do week number one. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, Al, Alan's a big Giants guy, so we'll talk about the about the Giants. I'll get his take on your pick of the under. You, I, I'm, I'm very curious. I think, most, I think Giants fans are feeling confident, but I don't think they're feeling that confident. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens, Joe. Thanks a lot, time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be follow social media. Keep on some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, Mike, just give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Don't forget the double underscore uh, or else you won't find me. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. I'll be posting all season long, so feel free to stop by, say hello, and just chat the football. Will you be sharing your own weekly picks on on the Twitter? I will be. I will be. I will be diving into those picks. Um, and who knows? I haven't really decided yet, but um, the podcast or two may be out, so we'll see. Yeah, maybe a little less frequent on the Sharp Terror, but you might, might pop in every now and then. We, we shall see. Exactly. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Always a pleasure. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. I got to talk about the Jets situation here with Zach Wilson. Obviously, still on the men, and the Jets did dodge a major bullet with Zach Wilson in the preseason because back in week one of the preseason, we go into Philadelphia, makes that play, should have gone out of bounds. You see him go down the non-contact and the injury. Everybody was going, oh, my God, he tore his ACL. Typical Jet luck. Joe Namath sold soul of the devil, and now the Jets can never have another good quarterback. Turns out it's not a torn ACL. He had a miscus tear, bone bruise on the knee, undergoes the arthroscopic surgery successfully. The initial timetable was two to four weeks. We've heard since, maybe four to six. But the one thing the Jets have been clear on here is that Zach Wilson is not going to be back on the, under center until he's 100% healthy. And that is definitely the correct course of action here. The Jets let it be known that right now that Joe Flacco is preparing to start against Baltimore in week one. That'll be about four weeks after the surgery for Wilson. So the worst case here right now is that Wilson would be back in week four, say that Flacco played the first three weeks against Baltimore at home at Cleveland, minus Sean Watson, and then home against Cincinnati. From all accounts here, Joe Flacco's looked pretty good in camp. And I mean, we're recording prior to preseason game number two, but he did tear up the Falcons in the joint practices, so that's going to be fun to see. Maybe just get a win or two in these games when he's starting. But that would be nice and get them off to a positive start here. But the season as a whole is going to be all about whether Zach Wilson is the guy and how he develops. Are the Jets a better team than they were last year? Yes, I would certainly say so. Will they make the playoffs? Probably not, more on account of the fact the AFC as a whole is ridiculously deep. And that, you know, the Jets got better. Pretty everyone above them also got better. And the NFL did them no favors by stacking the schedule the way they did with basically almost all their tough games prior to the bye. Making it very hard for them to really get a good foothold going without pulling off a bunch of upsets. What's going to make this season successful is when Zach Wilson comes back, that he takes a big leap forward. And the only way for him to do that is for him to be 100% healthy. You don't want him, you know, worrying about how the knee's going to hold up and try and protect the knee and alternate mechanics. You want him operating at 100% capacity and seeing, you know, if he's healthy, he can make more plays. The Jets did get a lot of talent in there to help him out. We've seen Elijah Moore last year. They brought in a bunch of playmakers. They improved the offensive line. The Jets are going to be better. And that offensive line, it does also need time to gel because the unit took a big hit. They lost Mekhi Becton to the season with the uh, kneecap injury. And they did bring in 37-year-old Dwayne Brown. It's going to take some time for him to get into the mix here with the offensive line. That means 
couple of guys learning new positions. George Fant's going back to right tackle. Uh, Elijah Barrett Tucker's moving from left guard to right guard to Connie Lake and Tomlinson. That that line needs time to play together and gel. And we saw a couple of years ago that not having that offseason practice time is really going to hurt. I think they could have some growing pains. And having Zach Wilson get killed behind a line that is in the early stages of his development could also hurt. Bottom line is this. The Jets season is going to be defined entirely by whether Zach Wilson is the guy. Not having him for 17 games, that's certainly annoying. But it's much better than the alternative where he tears the ACL, is out for the whole season, and you don't know what you have in him going to year three. That would have been a much bigger problem. But here, we're at least going to have some kind of answer on what he looks like. And with that, I want to end the second show of the week. I want to thank my guest, Kyle Borchak, for coming on to talk more fantasy football. Should be all set now for your drafts. A lot of good insight this week. I also want to thank Joe D'Alizio, who are doing the NFL over on. We'll see who wins those this year. Hopefully, I can be as good as I was with the baseball. So, we'll see how that goes. You want to go stuff like this podcast, including my look at the Knicks and Nets schedules after they came out last week. I offered some quick analysis on them. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also check out the podcast I dropped earlier in the week. I spoke to Bill Bender from the Sporting News about college football, Matt Schauf from Jeff uh, Sharks to talk about more fancy football. So, all that in the earlier episode this week. Check that out there on the podcast archives. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. Our Bad Bad Season 2 preview is now out on the Sky Guys feed. Next week, we'll be going a rewatch of Rogue One as part of the Andor Cut leading up to the new show coming to Disney Plus a couple of weeks. So you want those podcasts? Check out the Sky Guys podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms you mentioned at the top of the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week on the podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to take a breather from the football coverage here because we have a week off. We're going to get ready for the U.S. Open. Big tournament coming up. We also have John Stanker back talking from all movies and more. So have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.